The MCU could be ditching Kang for Doctor Doom. Dave Filoni's been promoted to the chief creative officer at Lucasfilm. We got a full trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong. We'll also take a look at Godzilla Minus One. All this and more in this edition, episode number 340 of Geekville Radio. Geekville Radio. Hello once again, ladies and gentlemen, geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with another regular edition of Geekville Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening to whatever you listen to for the National Podcast Post Month last month in the month of November. Uh, I hope anybody that listened had as much fun listening as I did making those episodes, but it is back to normal now. We are going to run through some geek news here, some of it going back a few weeks because I was so busy doing the NAPOD POMO shows that I really didn't catch up on much of the current news. So we will start with the top story here. This has been a rumor going around for a while, and I usually don't like talking about rumors that don't have anything substantial to them. I mean, there's rumors, of course, that will turn out to be true, but I don't want to fuel speculation into rumors that turn out to be false. I don't want to be one of those people that just kind of reports on the story when it turns out to be something completely false. But this has been picked up by Forbes, which is about as mainstream as you can get. I will have the links in the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 340. Now, most of us have heard about the legal troubles surrounding actor Jonathan Majors, who has been playing Kang for phases four and five of the MCU. He, of course, made his debut in the first season of Loki, and then he was called Kang in Quantumania, and then we saw him again in season two of Loki as well. But he's had these legal troubles, some domestic abuse allegations, and this has put a real strain on him professionally. A lot of places have dropped him. His agent, I believe, has dropped him, and he's lost a lot of roles because of this. Now, I'm not going to talk about the allegations or the probabilities or anything like that because I will leave that to the courts. I'll just say that I am a believer in innocent till proven guilty. But regardless, even if he is completely innocent of these allegations, this is still a lot of legal wrangling and a billion-dollar franchise hanging on what your main villain's going to do, but you don't have somebody to play your main villain, that can be a problem. So just him not being able to portray Kang, that in and of itself is a hindrance. And I know a lot of people would simply say, well, you can just recast him, right? There's multiple variants all across this multiverse. And while, yes, all of that is true... Even in the comics, there have been varying levels of how Kang looked over the years, right down to Iron Lad when he was a kid. But allegedly, and obviously none of us have seen the contracts at Disney or Marvel, but allegedly it is in Jonathan Major's contract that they cannot recast Kang. It has to be played by him. I'm assuming that's so he could play all the variants. 
So if that is true and they cannot recast Kang, well, then it does make sense to have to ditch Kang altogether and replace him with another villain. That, of course, being the rumored Doctor Doom. Now, I've been a fan of Doctor Doom forever. I have been saying over and over, in real life at least, that I really want to see Doctor Doom done justice on the big screen. And yes, he was in Fantastic Four movies, but I mean, we're, we're talking Doom as the universe-wide threat that we know he is in the comics. So from a standpoint of that, that replacing one universe-wide threat with another universe-wide threat, at least on paper, I'm perfectly okay with that. Uh, I don't think anybody would disagree that Doctor Doom is one of the most famous Marvel villains of all time, if not the famous. I'm sure there's some X-Men ones like Magneto and such that you could put in there. And since the ending of Phase 6 is going to be called Secret Wars, we'd have the Kang Dynasty and then Secret Wars, anybody who knows about Marvel's history knows that Doctor Doom was the main villain in all of the Secret Wars. Secret Wars, Secret Wars 2, and then I think there was the the recent one uh, within the last 10 years or so. So it would make sense to get Doom more upfront in preparations for a Secret Wars film, assuming that Secret Wars was going to follow what we saw in the comics you know, 30, 40 years ago. There is the rumors of Cillian Murphy. I think he would be a good pick. The fun thing about Doom, though, is you don't necessarily have to cast an actor who is going to be there with all the other actors at any point in time, much like The Mandalorian. Yes, Pedro Pascal is credited as playing The Mandalorian, but 95% of the time he's just doing voice work, if I understand it correctly. There's a lot of stuff where it is not him in the Din Djarin outfit. You know, he, he mainly does his acting in the studio uh, via voiceovers. That would be a very similar thing with Doom. Doom's mask is so iconic that it would almost be weird to see him without it on. Now, of course, he's got the scarred face, which is why he wears the mask in the first place. But you could hire a, a pretty decent A-list actor for the recognizable voice, and that actor wouldn't have to be on set. You just either need somebody in the armor or this day and age like they did with Attack of the Clones for Star Wars, just CGI doom. I'm sure that could be done easily. So while I really hope that we do get Jonathan Majors back as Kang, that is something I really would like to see because I've been enjoying his take on the character. If we do have to go to Doom, I can understand it. Like I said, he's one of my favorite villains. So if that's how the dice falls and we have to have Doom front and center more so than, than Kang, I personally am okay with that. Now, moving on to the Star Wars universe, Dave Filoni has been promoted at Lucasfilm. His title is now the Chief Creative Officer. This means he will oversee the production of all Star Wars shows and movies, not just the ones he helps develop. Because, as we all know, Dave Filoni helped develop The Mandalorian. Obviously, he was one of the main creative forces behind The Clone Wars and Rebels and was the main guy behind Ahsoka. And I think most Star Wars fans would agree that all of those have been good to great. I mean, I, I really liked Ahsoka because... 
I knew it was basically a sequel to Rebels. It was a live-action take on an animated show. So I loved Rebels, and I loved Ahsoka as well. But shows like Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Acolyte series and Andor as well, Dave Filoni had nothing to do with those shows. Now, taking Filoni's interview at Vanity Fair, he says, Now, what I'm called is chief creative officer of Lucasfilm. In the past, a lot of projects I'll be brought into, and I'd see it after it had already developed a, a good ways. In this new role, it's opened up to basically everything that's going on. We're planning the future of what we're doing now. I'm involved in the inception phase. I know it's a bad Filoni impression, but I kind of can't quote Dave Filoni without at least trying to do an impression. But yeah, that means he's going to have a hand in everything that's done in Star Wars, which I people are comparing this, and I think it's what... I said before that Star Wars needs a Kevin Feige. And if he wanted the job, Dave Filoni sounds like he would be good for that because he is a good logic cop, you might say. Because when you hear him talk about stuff that happens, he can give you logical reasons why they happen or why they should happen. So if Dave Filoni is the equivalent of Kevin Feige for Star Wars, I think that's a great thing. He has been one of the best things to come out of the Disney era, and he was one of the best things, quite frankly, of the Lucas era as well. We know he is doing a feature film of his own, which we can only presume is going to be the finale to everything in The Mandalorian and Ahsoka and all the other live-action shows that he has been working on. I believe he is even going to be directing the feature film. So again, if this is true... This is good news in my book. Now we will switch universes, switch genres, and we're going to talk some Godzilla because we also got a trailer for Godzilla Kong, The New Empire. This is the sequel to Godzilla vs. Kong, and we'll probably pick up shortly after where the previous film left off. It is the highly anticipated trailer. It's the continuation of the MonsterVerse, which we weren't sure was going to continue after Godzilla vs. Kong. Thankfully, it is continuing. I've been enjoying the MonsterVerse a lot. And this looks like it's going to have an all-new, original villain to the MonsterVerse. Now, when I watched this trailer, I knew we had to do what any self-serving geek podcast had to do, overanalyze and overthink everything in detail and form our own narrative of what the story will be. So, we do see a big hole appearing in the surface of Egypt, and it looks to be, it turns out it's Kong kind of making his way to the surface, but we also see a lot of Kong running around in the hollow earth, humans chasing him around, we get the baby Kong, and we get the presence of the villain, which I believe the name is said to be Scar King. We also get glimpses of an unknown human, perhaps a deity or leader. She's walking around in this underground civilization. We see Scar King kind of overseeing his minions, his slaves perhaps, building these underground towers. And we get a frozen Godzilla beneath the surface, rising up to the surface. Everybody's freaking out about his scales being pink. I have no problem with that. And we get the final shots of Godzilla and Kong running together to take on the huge threat that is presumably Scar King. And it also looks like there is a shot of Scar King on the surface of Earth to show how massive he is. It sounds like Scar King is going to be bigger 
than Godzilla or Kong. I'm presuming he might be older than Kong, but it would make sense that Kong may need to team up with Godzilla to take on this new villain because he is so much larger than either of them. Or it could be that maybe Scar King has minions. Now, all kidding and sarcasm aside, it looks like Scar King will be the ruler of this hollow earth underworld. Uh, Presumably Kong will stumble across this new empire, probably get his clock cleaned and his hand broken by Scar King. So that's why he's got that infinity gauntlet looking thing on his hand. Meanwhile, Godzilla would be lured and entrapped in ice, similar to how he was in the second ever Godzilla movie, Godzilla Raids Again. Then after making the power glove to heal Kong's hand, the humans realize only Godzilla can help Kong defeat this monstrous foe. Cue the massively expensive and complex battle in the third act, and you have what will hopefully be another exciting entry into the MonsterVerse. I liked this trailer, as we'll get to in a minute. Uh, I've been very happy with the MonsterVerse. There was very little Godzilla in the 2014 film that picked up with the others. That's kind of to be expected. But I think handling the MonsterVerse, I think Legendary's done pretty well. I have not seen Monarch because I don't have Apple TV. So I, I can't really comment on the quality of the Monarch TV series. I've said before, I'll watch anything with Kurt Russell in it. So I will see it. I just don't know when. I've heard mixed things about it, but I've heard that there's good stuff about it as well. But I don't want to say anything more because I don't want to be wrong. But at least as it stands, this movie just looks like a whole bunch of giant monster kaiju fun. And that's really all I want in my monster movies. Now that said, we're going to have our final look here, our final story. And that is going to be a Godzilla minus one. I will wave the spoiler tag, of course, here. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler hole has been breached. Spoiler hole has been breached. Godzilla Minus One is the latest Toho Godzilla film. And I think it's probably got the biggest release of any of the Toho Godzilla films since the classic ones in the 60s. It's been actually number one movie uh, certain nights of the week. Not for the weekend, but certain nights of the week, it actually has been the number one movie. It's taken in, I want to say by this time, like 20 million, 30 million, which for a foreign language film, for those that haven't seen it, it's not dubbed. It is in Japanese language and you see the subtitles. If that is a problem for you, and I can totally understand if it is, if you don't like subtitled movies, you might not like this one as much. But if you can get past the subtitles, uh, this really was a fantastic example of the art of filmmaking. This really is a great time to be a Godzilla fan. I may even be the greatest time because not only are there blockbuster movies and TV shows, but now we're getting movies from Toho as well. You know, the studio that created Godzilla in the first place. Our legendary Pictures, we produced four feature films, TV series. They have their own timeline, the MonsterVerse that we just talked about. Toho has rebooted their own Godzilla timeline with Godzilla Minus One. This is only the second time, to my knowledge, that Toho has completely rebooted the Godzilla movie franchise. And I am open to correction, obviously. Geekvilleradio.com, social media at Geekville Radio, Facebook X, Twitter, Instagram. You can correct me. now, Because when I say completely reboot, I mean from the ground up. The last time 
Toho did a complete reboot of Godzilla was in 2016 with Shin Godzilla, which is another one that is very different than other Godzilla movies. I said that it is probably the most terrifying Godzilla movie. And quite frankly, that may be replaced with this one because there's a lot of terrifying stuff in Godzilla Minus One, but we'll, we'll get to that. What I mean by being a complete reboot is all the other Godzilla movies that were reboots, like Return of Godzilla, what we know as Godzilla 1985 in the States, uh, was there Godzilla 2000, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, Giant Monsters All Out Attack, all these movies that kind of were reboots or reimaginations, they still acknowledged the original 1954 Gojira. So they were reboots in the sense that they went in a new direction, but they still acknowledged the original film, much like the recent Halloween films have been direct sequels to the original Halloween and just ignored everything else in between. That's what Godzilla 1985 did. It was a sequel to the original, ignored everything else. Much Like I said, like a lot of those other reboots, they just ignored everything since the original film. So unlike the other movies, though, Godzilla Minus One, this is a period piece. It takes place shortly after World War II and depicts Japan dealing with the hardships that come from losing World War II. So it is a complete retelling of Godzilla's origin. However, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that he was still created from one of the atomic bombs. We all know that. This one takes a little step further in that he was also around for the Project Crossroads nuclear test. So in this movie, he's actually hit with a couple of atomic bombs, hence why he keeps growing and uh, getting more powerful. Now, what this film excels at, there's two things, really. The first thing this excels at is the depiction of the protagonist uh, and the, the human element. I said earlier that I really watch monster movies for monsters, not necessarily humans, but this really had a humanizing take for a film. It's why I'm saying this isn't so much a monster film as much as it is a story of tragedy. But this depicts the survivors of World War II having this survivor's guilt. You know, they, they, feel, they feel it after realizing just how many innocent civilians died. The main character was a kamikaze pilot who actually kind of chickened out of being a kamikaze pilot. So when he returns home, there are people blaming him that he did not fulfill his duty. But then on top of that, having just survived a terrible war, then Godzilla shows up. It's like, what worse could happen? That's why it's called Minus One. The Minus One has to deal with the economy and the condition of Japan at the time. They were a zero at the end of the war, and Godzilla showing up for additional damage essentially puts it into the negative. So that's for those that didn't know, that's the meaning of the name Godzilla Minus One. But the other strong point is the depiction of Godzilla himself. Not like what you saw in the classic Toho films or in the Monsterverse where he's the Earth's Titan, potentially even Earth's Defender. He's not like this. This is the living engine of destruction that we saw in the original Gojira, that we saw in Return of Godzilla throughout the Heisei series of the 90s. This is not a hero. This is not a monster king. This is a living engine to destruction that just lives to decimate. And a perfect example of that, the picture, the scenes all over uh, the web of the scene on the boat 
where Godzilla is chasing a boat through the water. And you just look at the eyes alone of Godzilla in this. And that's freaking terrifying right there. I, I just said that Shin Godzilla may have been the most terrifying Godzilla film. This may eclipse it. This may even be more terrifying because you just look at those eyes and you know this is not an innocent monster. This is not an animal that has just been disturbed in its natural habitat. This monster seeks destruction. And that's and that goes with the whole parallel of Godzilla being a nuclear metaphor. Like Raymond Burr said in Godzilla 1985, it's nature reminding man of how small he is. Like I said, Godzilla minus one, it's definitely not a blockbuster action movie. I wouldn't even say it's fair to call it a monster movie. In the end, it is a story of tragedy. If you've seen the original Gojira, then you know what to expect. But it is a tragic story, much like Titanic, if the tragedy was in the form of a giant radioactive lizard. But it is a much more humanizing film, especially compared to the MonsterVerse counterparts, because ultimately it deals with people struggling with disaster after disaster, and it makes you care about who lives and who dies. I know I've given some spoilers. I'm not going to give any spoilers on who lives and who dies, but you definitely care about the characters in this story. And that's something that a lot of the classic monster movies did not do. You didn't really care for the humans. You only cared about the monsters. But I think the fact that it is so different is exactly what makes it fit in with the current crop of multi-billion dollar, multi-million dollar blockbuster mega movies. If you want giant monster action, stick with the MonsterVerse. This might not be your, your cup of tea if you just want to see giant monsters. But if you want an emotional display of the art of filmmaking, this fits that perfectly. I easily give this game, this movie, an A. It may, it, when I rank things, especially in the wrestling world, um, I'll say things like there's my favorites and then there's the best. You know, my favorite wrestler is AJ Styles, but the best wrestler in the world is Kazuchika Okada. My favorite Godzilla movie is Tokyo SOS, but this may be the best Godzilla movie ever made. And I don't say that lightly. If you want an artistic take, you want the art of filmmaking, and you want the emotional struggle, then this movie is definitely for you. So go out and see it on a big screen if you haven't already. That brings us to the end of this episode of Geekville Radio. Thank you folks for listening. If you're listening to us for the first time, even if it's after the National Podcast Post Month of November, welcome. I hope you liked what you heard. You can find us at geekvilleradio.com. The social media can also be found at Geekville Radio. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter slash X, and on Instagram at Geekville Radio. You can also reply to posts made at geekvilleradio.com. You can reply to stuff there. So if you want to correct me on something or let me know if I'm doing something right or wrong. And of course, you can write us at Seth at Geekville Radio or show at GeekvilleRadio.com. We're on the podcast platform where you're choosing Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much you name it. Just do a search for Geekville Radio. You can find us. There's also subscribe buttons on GeekvilleRadio.com. Give us a review, give us a follow, let us know what we're doing well, let us know what we're not doing so well. I always welcome feedback, especially when it's genuine. So I am going to power down the Geekle Radio studio. We'll be talking to you folks soon. 
We've got a lot of the other shows coming back as well, Nostalgia Trip, Classic Wrestling Memories, Lesson Known Geek Hall of Fame. They're all going to be back soon. So sit tight, and we will talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any products or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests do not reflect the views of GeeklerRadio.com, the Wrestling Brethren podcast, family, or any of their affiliates. Some media used in Geekville Radio is the product of their respective copyright holders, all rights reserved.